Welcome to the Grace Hill Podcast, a weekly podcast of our Sunday messages driven by our pastor. Grace Hill exists to bring God's biblical truth to your everyday life. As we begin this week's message, we invite you to open your Bibles and capture what God has in store for you today. This morning we get to start a brand new series as we talk about prayer. And, and, and one of the things you know about me is that I, I love old dead guys. And that was, that was Leonard Ravenhill. And he's just an incredible man. He was an incredible man of prayer. And he taught on prayer, spoke about prayer. And then he prayed. And that's just, you know. So as we work through this, you're going to hear a lot of old names. Today you're going to get to hear a really great name. It's Ian e. Bounds, Edward Bounds, who wrote 11 books during his ministry and in his time. Nine of them were on prayer. So, so we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit. But uh, how many of you have ever been to a point in your life where you you wish that you were physically stronger, that you had more physical ability, or you go, never in my life have I ever felt a need for more physical strength than I need right now. I have been there. I have absolutely been there. In 2013, I went on a mission trip with all youth pastors. We didn't take any students with us because the trip was going to be physically demanding. It was going to be physically hard. And we went to Tanzania, Africa. And, and there were some cool highlights along the way. You know, we stopped in Dubai for a day. That was cool. We went to, like, that was easy because we went to the top of the Burj Khalifa and there was no climbing involved. You get in an elevator, right? So that was simple. We were able to do that. And it was awesome. It was really cool. But we get to Tanzania and we did some different things where we were in cities and we were staying in hotels, sleeping in a bed. We had running water and electricity and it was great. And it was nice and it was easy. But The big purpose of the trip was to trek over a mountain into a remote village where there was no running water. There was some electricity and it was right on Lake Malawi. So we started off that morning on the, when we were heading in and we had our backpacks on and our backpacks weighed about 35 pounds because we had our tents. We had all of our stuff that we, everything had to be on our backs and we were going straight up and over this mountain, hardly any switchback going on. It's like, go, you know. And so we started out at about 3,000 feet elevation, went to over 10,000 feet elevation, and then back to just over 1,500 feet elevation down by the lake. And going in was no problem. I felt like a champ. We made the trek that day in about nine and a half hours. It was fantastic. We even stopped for a while under this really cool shaded area that looked almost like a little like oasis. It was awesome. It was like this coolest thing in the world. And we go and we get there and we get into the city and the coolest part, we jumped in the Lake Malawi and it was like ice cold and it was wonderful. It was so refreshing and great. And we spent two days there ministering in the church and we were preaching in, in, in the small church there and, and, and hanging out with kids. And we played soccer with kids that were way better than they should be at their age. It was remarkable. And and we're hanging out with all this and we're having so much fun. And then the last day, it was Sunday and we were getting up Monday morning to hike back out. And they told us, you need to go to bed early because we have to get up very early to beat the heat because where we were was right on the equator. And so they, you want to make sure you get to the top of the mountain before the sun is at the highest point. Otherwise, it's just a beating. I'm like, okay. Well, that night, one of the coolest things in the world happened. Uh, somebody got married. And the wedding music played till about two in the morning. And we didn't have mattresses to sleep on. We were in tents on the ground. We took like little inflatable floats, like, you know, like you lay on in the pool. And by, by about an hour into it, you're on the ground. Like it really, it helps you to fall asleep and then just enough to get you asleep to wake up later. You know, you go like, this is really good. So then we had to wake up at 3.30 in the morning. And they're like, all right, y'all need to eat before you go. At 3.30 in the morning, I don't know about you, but I don't typically eat. And my body was not hungry. And so I ate one biscuit, legitimately one biscuit. And I'm like, I feel good though. Like I'm not hungry. I feel ready to go. 
and we start hiking out and it's dark. I mean, it's 3.30 in the morning and it is pitch black and we're making our way out. And at this time, the village is now quiet and everybody's asleep and we're making our way through and we have flashlights and we're watching the path and we're getting out of there. And about an hour and a half, maybe two hours into it, the sun starts to come up and there's a little bit of daylight and my body is ready to be done. (laughs) And we still have to go from 1,500 feet that day up to over 10,000 feet before we can make our way back down. I remember sitting down and going, I don't know if I can make it any longer. In fact, for a split moment, I blacked out. Not good. And I'm trying to then shove whatever food I can and my body does not want anything. It is ready to go to sleep. Like it's ready to shut down. Like it's going, no, you need to stop, completely stop. And I was physically gone, toasted, just worn out. It was so bad. There was a kid that was with us. And I say kid because he was a youth pastor, but he was a few years younger than me. And his name was Dylan. And Dylan was apparently superhuman because he was a freak of nature and had absolutely no struggles at any point at any time and was like ready to take off running up the mountain had we given him the green light to do so. And in fact, Dylan was in such great shape that he didn't carry his backpack, but he also carried somebody else's backpack on front of him. And I'm like, why do I not like you right now? Like, what? we were friends on the plane over, but now trying to get over this mountain, I don't like you anymore. And it was so bad. I was so weak that, the true story, a 62-year-old man carried my backpack to the top of the mountain for me. And he was from Tanzania. There was a great church planner, and he kept giving me the hardest time all the way up to the top. And I deserved it nonetheless. But I never felt so physically weak in my entire life. I had never felt so physically drained to the point to where I blacked out for a moment. I was going, this is insane. What have I got myself into? And we can get into more of that story at another time. Lauren had no contact with me. There was no way to, you know, so here I am thinking I may never see my wife again. There's a whole lot into that, right? But here we are physically beat and in desperate need for more strength. I felt physically incapable. I think we kind of do the same things to ourselves spiritually from time to time. I knew how to train for what we were going into. In fact, it had been told to me over and over and over, make sure you're training, make sure you're training. And I gave training the most half-hearted effort you have ever seen in your life. And I'm like, no, I did. I trained today. Put in like 25 minutes. Yeah, great. You're doing a like a 13 mile hike up and over a mountain uh, with a backpack on 30 minutes a day is not going to cut it. Right. You know, there was like, no, I I knew that I should train harder. I knew that I I could have been better prepared. I knew what to do. It had been told to me and and stressed to me and, and, you know, repeated to me over and over and over. And yet I still neglected to do it. And we do that in our spiritual lives because we know what we should do to grow spiritually. We know what we should do to be empowered. We know what we should do to feel the strengthening of the spirit. We know what we should do to be built up by God so that when we encounter things, we have the strength, we have the power and the ability to overcome and to persevere and to fight through. Yet, oftentimes we neglect the very thing that strengthens us in our walk and that is prayer. Why is prayer so difficult? And I know that I'm amongst friends here and I can, I can speak openly and say, prayer is hard to make a habit of. It's easy to, to, to 
enter into prayer in passing moments or in, in fleeting moments or in one-off moments, right? We can jump into it, but it is hard to make prayer a, a part of our routine and our daily lives. Prayer is difficult, but we miss out oftentimes on the very thing that we need to shape our world, to change our world for the kingdom of God. The purpose of prayer is to tap into the power of God. Prayer gives us that connection to God, right? It is our communication with God. And then through that communication, through that connection, we tap into the very power of God. We tap into the very power of who he is. It is there for us. It is, it is available to us if we will take time to pray. So I mentioned that we would talk about some old guys uh, throughout this series. And, and the thing that needs to be understood is that Prayer has never been and never should be treated as a fad or a fleeting concept or idea. Prayer is our connection. Ian Bounds in his book, Purpose of Prayer, said this. He said, the more praying there is in the world, the better the world will be, the mightier the forces against evil everywhere. Prayer, in one phase of its operation, is a disinfectant and a preventative. Prayer is a disinfectant and a preventative. It's through the power of prayer that we overcome the evil forces of this world. He also said this, prayer became a settled and only condition to move his son's kingdom, meaning God. Ask and you shall receive. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened. The strongest one in Christ's kingdom is he who is the best knocker. The secret of success in Christ's kingdom is the ability to pray. And yet prayer is more often neglected and forgotten than probably any other spiritual discipline. Why is that? Because the enemy knows that if we learn to pray, if we learn to pray, there is nothing he can do to come against us. There is nothing he can do to bring us down or to fight against us because it's through prayer that we are built up. Henry Martin, who was uh, an Episcopal missionary, he only lived 31 years. He gave his life as a missionary. He was in, in India and Persia. He said this, let me burn out for God. After all, whatever God may appoint, prayer is the great thing. Oh, that I may be a man of prayer. The desire to be called a man of prayer, a woman of prayer, to let that be what defines us. Let that be what people look to us and say, here's why they are great because they pray. That should be the ultimate idea and concept of what it means to be men and women of God. That should be the pinnacle of who we should become as followers of Christ is that people refer to us and see us as men and women of prayer. When we look at the mighty men and women of, of the Bible and we see the things that they did, we, we often, when we do this, it happens so often that we place them in a different stratosphere of human, human being, right? We go, well, they're, they're superhuman. They're in the Bible. 
And the reality is, no, they were normal men and women of God who simply through great faith and prayer, God used to do great and mighty things. You think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who are there in the fire. And yet, because they were unwilling to bow through their their willingness to only worship God and through their faith, there they stand overcoming the flames. And Daniel, because of his prayer, is thrown into the lion's den. And through a prayer, the mouths of the lions are shut. See, it is by prayer and through prayer that God shapes and molds and does great things. And it is when we tap into the power of God that we begin to see the world shift and changed and altered. These men and women, strong in faith and in prayer, they subdued kingdoms. They wrought righteousness. They obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, from weakness were made strong. Turned to flight armies of the enemies. Prayer is the most powerful thing we can do as believers. And yet, we often neglect it, forget it, or overlook it. Everything is possible to the men and women who know how to pray. Everything is possible. Psalms 2.8, he says this, it says, Ask me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. Ask me is what God says. He says, ask me. Think about that. He says, all, it, it simply requires you turning and asking. He says, you know, ask of God. We've not rested on prayer the way we should have. We have not made prayer the sole condition. There has been violation of the primary condition of prayer. We have not prayed enough. We've not prayed at all. God is willing to give, but we are slow to ask. This brings me to our text for the day. I'll give you just a moment to open your Bibles. And while we do, I want to assure you that on on Friday night, George, Todd, Dan, and I slept on the roof. And I want to say thank you to all of you for not doing anything to disrupt our evening and allowing that to be a great time. So if you remember on Easter, we said that if, if, if we broke 250 on Easter Sunday, that we would sleep on the roof. Well, we came through and we fulfilled that promise. And we did, in fact, sleep on the roof. Next week, we'll have a recap and all that stuff for y'all. There's so much going on today that something had to give, right? And so next week, we'll kind of recap that in, in, in fullness so you can see the great time that we had sleeping on our wonderful new roof that was fantastic to sleep on. So good. So Uh, Let's jump into our text. It is Matthew 7, uh, verse 7 and 8. Matthew 7, 7 and 8. And it says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Ask, seek, and knock. Three very distinct commands given in in this passage in regards to prayer. But uh, I don't think it'd be hard to convince you uh, that we as the church, not just Grace Hill, the, the, the church as a whole does not pray enough. And, and when we do, too often we pray soft or weak prayers where we walk almost with a, a very timid, you know, careful, cautious step in before God where we go, 
oh Lord, if, it, if it's okay with you, I, I want to speak just a little bit. I want to say something. I'm just, if, if you think that this could possibly happen, maybe, listen, but it's okay uh, if it doesn't and I'm fine. And we come in with just these timid approach and these, these weak prayers before God that I almost wonder if God looks at and goes, where is your faith? What are you even doing? So I want to talk real fast through these three things. The first is ask. Uh, we overcomplicate things at times in prayer. And sometimes we, we, we make it to be this bigger thing than it is or this more difficult thing than it actually is. And we overcomplicate it. We just simply go, there's no way I could ever possibly move the hand of God or I could cause him to shift or move or, or alter the direction or whatever. You know, there's no way. And, and God is saying, you simply need to ask. Ask. How many of you have ever dealt with a small child? Whether you've had your own or you've worked in Grace Kids Junior or, or you've, you've had a niece or a nephew, that you've, right? So we have, we've probably all at some point in time dealt with a small child. Now, we've had children, or well, we still do, rather. Um, we have two of them. Uh, if you see them, we've been looking for them for a while. And we would like to have them back. No, it's... One of the things I've learned about, about children is that at some point you have to teach them how to ask. You have to teach them to ask and then you have to teach them how to ask, right? Because their interpretation of ask could be, give me that, please. And like, well, uh, you didn't ask. You know, it's one of those guys. But at, at the beginning, like you'll see them, they'll crawl over to another kid that has a toy and they think, oh, I want that toy. So they crawl over and what do they do? They take the toy. And then this turns into be, you know, a big ordeal because the two of them are now at a disagreement and one of them gets hit by the toy, right? It's just kind of how this works out because when they're that age, they don't know how to respond and they go, why are you crying at me? Stop, right? I don't know. It's just, right? But at some point in time, it's more than just going, okay, no, you need to give that back. You do that for a while, especially when they're small and they're not going to grasp the concept of asking, right? And you go, plus they don't have words yet. So you go, no, let's give that back, right? And at some point you go, okay, now it's time to, we need to teach you to ask. You need to ask, you need to ask. And then we have to teach them how to ask, right? And there's this, this need and this desire to see them grow in this maturing process. And it's a wonderful moment when you watch from afar and your child walks over and says, can I play with that, please? And the other kid goes, yes. And you're like, oh, my child's growing up. And then you have that moment of you're like, stop, don't grow up. Stay, stay little forever, right? You know, being a pastor, I'm a parenting expert. So, um, I, it's the anointing. And so, that's how that, uh, you know. But you know that you, your children have to ask. They don't come out with the innate ability knowing how to ask. It's not like they're born, they eat, sleep, poop, and ask for things, right? It doesn't work that way. Uh, it, is, it is a learned behavior. And the same thing in our spiritual growth and our spiritual walk with the Lord, we have to learn how to ask. And too often we go, well, that request is too big or, or, there's, or, it's, or it's too small, right? We do that many times where we go, well, God only wants to hear about the big things and this isn't very big. And I would say, no, God wants you to bring all of your requests to him. He wants you to learn to ask because prayer is connecting and tapping into the power of God. And he's saying, bring it to me. And it's even said, Jesus himself says, ask and it will be given to you. Now I wanna key in for a moment on, on the word Ask, because it's, it's an incredible uh, uh, what it actually means in, in the, the, the full understanding of this word. First of all, it's the Greek word, uh, ateo, and, and, and it means to ask for with urgency, even to the point of demanding. Think about that. To ask for, to demand, to plead for. 
So when Jesus says to come and to ask and to bring your, your prayers, make them known to the Lord, he's not saying bring simple requests where you are in, in humility, just bow down. Yes, with humility before the Lord, understand, but, but with, with just a very timid approach. That's not what he's saying. He's saying come with some urgency, Come with some, some emotion behind what you're saying. Come with heartfelt pleads. And he's saying almost to the point of demanding. This is from Jesus. So if you're going to be like, well, you can't. Dem-. I'm telling you what Jesus himself has said. When you look at the original Greek, he's saying, bring it before the Lord and ask with some serious urgency. He said, almost bring some emotion into it and say, listen, God, I need this. I need this. Lord, I'm bringing my request before you. This is no small thing. And don't just treat it as like, well, Lord, if you can, if you have time, if you think about me at some point throughout the course of your day, um, I know you don't have days like we, but you know, you get, God, you get what I'm saying. Um, it's, but there's, I have, you say, no, don't, it's not that, that's not the approach into this. You are trying to tap into the very power of God. You are trying to reach into the heart of the very being of creation in, in the God of the universe. He's saying, come before him with some confidence, knowing that he has the ability to make it happen. He's saying, when you ask, make sure your faith is behind your asking so that it's not just a simple statement or, or request being made, but you are speaking it with faith, knowing that this is the God who's capable and able of doing far more than you could ever think or imagine. When you ask, ask it like you mean it. He says, and if you ask, you will receive. There's that, that confidence that we find to say that I know that when I go before God, I can make my requests known and I can speak them boldly. I can ask them confidently, knowing that God is capable, that God is able. And too often, we just back away from it because prayer is intimidating or prayer is difficult or things get in the way or our life gets busy. But if we learn to ask, if we learn to ask, we can tap into the very power of God. So my question this morning is, what is it that you have not asked for? Or what is it that you've only momentarily asked for? What is it that you've only momentarily asked God to do or in passing said, oh God, if you could do this, that would be great. What is it? We all have needs. We all have needs. And my heart is this church, hear me, that we become a house of prayer. That we become a house of prayer. That we become a people that relies solely on God for things. That we say, God can do this. God is capable. God can make it happen. There was a great song years ago that said, God will make a way where there seems to be no way. He works in ways we cannot see. He will make a way for me. And trusting in that and saying, God, I believe you. I'm going to ask you. I'm going to come before you knowing that you are able. So what is it? What is it that that you are withholding? What is it that you're, you're only cautiously praying for? Or what is it that you're not speaking and asking? James 4, 2 says, essentially, you have not because you ask not. And maybe there's those things in our lives where we're going, God, why don't I have this? Why, isn't, why, can't I, why can't I walk in this? Why don't I have the freedom that I should have? And God's going, why haven't you asked for it? Why haven't you taken the time to come before me and say, God, I need this? He's saying, you have to ask. It, it requires action on your part. It requires action on your part. You have not because you ask not. And that's kind of the King James translation. But when you learn it a certain way at like five years old, it just kind of sticks with you like that. 
He said, you need to make your requests known before the Lord. God sees them, yes. And too many times we go, God knows what I need. And God's saying, I know what you need, but I know I need you to ask for it. That's how you unlock my, my power. That's how you tap into who I am. Don't just simply say, well, God knows all my needs. He's like, I do. That's great. And I'm not gonna take anything away from you for saying, well, God knows what he does. But God is also saying repeatedly, he says, ask me, ask me. Ask and I'll give you the nations. Ask and you will receive. You have not because you ask not. It's simple. And we find it in the word of God. And yet he's, we, we too often just go, well, God knows. And he's like, and I just need you to ask. And I'm ready to move. I'm ready to act. I'm ready to do things for you. You have to ask. We need to become men and women of God who know how to ask. The second thing is, and I got to watch my time because I've got a lot of notes today. This is good. The second thing is this seek. Is there anything more rewarding than finding something you have looked for for the longest time? And you go, I cannot find this thing. <laughs> and you are seeking this out. I remember uh, having lost a wallet when it, it would, uh, it's so frustrating. Have you ever, man alive, that is the worst feeling in the world because you go, my money's in there, my debit card, my credit card, my driver's license. I couldn't find it anywhere. I mean, I was looking all over the place for this thing and I just could not find it. I searched high and low. I looked everywhere. I tore the house apart. And then by the end of the day, I still hadn't found it. So now you get a little nervous because you go, okay, debit card, credit, is this stolen? And so, so I'm watching the bank account saying, is there anything suspicious happening? So I'm watching these things. And then the next day I look a little more because I have not given up hope yet. I'm still looking, still looking, still looking. About day three, I decided, okay, I've got to cancel these cards because I don't know where they are, which means everything on auto pay. And you know how that is just so frustrating. And you're like, my goodness gracious. So I'll do all of that. And then I move on. Literally, probably three weeks go by. I now have new cards, new new debit cards, credit cards. The one thing I didn't do though, was get my driver's license renewed. I was just living on the edge. (laughs) Living on, luckily I have my number memorized. So if they pulled me over, which they didn't, I could... (laughs) I was going to try that route, you know. So I've got all these new cards. I go and get a new wallet, get something new to keep all my stuff in. And uh, one day, this is going to make you laugh. So hard, maybe not. I'm hoping it makes you laugh, right? Uh, I look in my, I'm looking for something on my nightstand. My wallet was on top of my nightstand the entire time. Just sitting behind some books stacked on my nightstand. My wife decorates with books. I didn't look behind them. And for three weeks, my wallet sat next to me. Every night I'd lay down. Think about this. I would lay down and go to sleep. My wallet was no more than 18 inches from my face. (laughs) Nonetheless, when I found it, it was still a great day. I was like, oh, essentially I found my license, right? Because everything else had been replaced at this time. But it was like a great moment. It feels so good when you find that thing that you're looking for. I still laugh going, you idiot. So now whenever I look, if I can't find my wallet, I'm like, is it behind the books? <laughs> we checked there first and then we work backwards from there. But it's a good feeling, right? When you find what you've been seeking, what you've been looking for, you go, man, I, this feels so good. This is so great. I'm just thrilled with it. And Jesus says, he says, seek and you will find. Seek and you will find. Here's one thing I know. You don't go seeking for things, seeking out things that you already have. You don't go looking for things that you know where they are. If you know where it is, you just go and get it, right? 
And you go, that's why organization is a wonderful thing. Because you go, hey, if things get put back where they're supposed to, I can walk back and just grab it. So you seek out things that are lost or things that you don't possess or things that you have and you don't know where they are, right? You don't just go looking for things uh, for no reason. Matthew here does something intriguing is that he connects this word seek back to uh, a previous chapter. So right before this, this is, this is a part of the Sermon on the Mount. So chapter seven in Matthew is uh, five, six, and seven is the Sermon on the Mount. And so he's walking through this whole message that Jesus is preaching. And so if you go back in the message that Jesus is preaching and in chapter six in verse 33, he uses the same verb for the word seek. He uses the same word and the hope is that he will have this thought in the minds of the readers moving forward that when they read this word again, it brings back this thought. And it says this in verse 33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So when we fast forward to chapter seven and and, in verse seven and eight, and he says, seek and you will find. So saying in your prayer, when you speak, when you pray, seek out the kingdom of God and his righteousness, the pursuit of his righteousness. See, now we are made righteous, right, in in Christ. And and we've gone over that. And that's not to diminish the doctrine and theology of salvation and taking on the righteousness of Christ. That's, That's not to do that. But he's saying, seek out that righteousness in prayer. Seek the kingdom of God. Here's what I found is that when we seek the kingdom of God and we seek his righteousness, that God begins to speak and he begins to change what we ask for. He begins to change what we ask for. You know, we've always heard that God will give us the desires of our hearts, right? But when our heart is in alignment with him and we seek his kingdom and we seek his righteousness, the desires of our heart begin to change and come into alignment with the desires of the kingdom and the desires of the righteousness of God. Here's what happens. When we begin to seek the righteousness of Christ, and we say, God, fill me with your righteousness. Let me be full of your righteousness. You know what it does? It pushes all unrighteousness out. Those things that we go, okay, I don't think God would like this. I don't think Jesus would sit here and watch this. I don't think Jesus would want to be a part of this. I don't think Jesus would partake in this. See, as we fill up with his righteousness, those things no longer become appealing to us. You say, I don't want that any longer. So he's saying, seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And as we do, our prayers will be altered and what we pray for and what we seek out and what we ask for will shift and change because our heart is now in alignment with God and with what he wants to do and with what, what Jesus is leading us to do. Seeking takes place in prayer. And in that seeking, it connects us to God, which taps into his power. Our prayers should never be all about what we want. It should never be about God, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me, but it should be more, Lord, let me come into alignment with your kingdom and then make my prayers known and my requests known and what I ask because my heart is now in alignment with you. Seeking. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna move quickly here. Knock. The last thing is knock. Ask, seek, Knock. Persistence. Persistence. I think one of our struggles in prayer is that we give up too quickly. We say, well, I prayed for this and God didn't do it. Well, how much did you, how often did you pray? Well, I prayed the other day for it. Good. 
It's a good start. It's persistence. Continuing, continuing in prayer. We give up too quickly. We live in a world that wants things immediately. I remember when Amazon introduced Prime. It was like two-day shipping. You pay this one thing a year and you get free two-day shipping. Free two-day shipping. It was awesome. And I remember being, you know, out in the country where we lived before, out in the sticks and the boonies, uh, a.k.a. Ellis County. Um, Two-day shipping was like the greatest thing in the world. You'd be like, oh my word, this is awesome. Then we moved to Dallas. And same-day shipping on Prime was available. And it was like, I was looking for the streets of gold and pearly gates. I was like, we must be in heaven. This is incredible. And then they took it away. And all of a sudden, two-day shipping seems like such an eternity. And you're going, what in the world is wrong with these people? Don't they know they had a good thing going? I enjoyed it. We want things quickly, right? We hate waiting in lines. How many, who in here enjoys just a good one and a half hour wait for a 32 second roller coaster? <laughs> one person. Yeah, yeah, you know what I mean? It's like, it's not anything we enjoy. The waiting, you know, so we have been trained in our society and our culture to want things immediately. And I blame it on the microwave, but I'm not going to get into that. But it's like, we want things fast. We want it right away. Now I enjoy a good microwave. Don't get me wrong, right? I am just as conditioned as you are, right? So we, we, we have this thing where we go, I want it now. I want it right away. I, I don't want to wait for stuff. And it's creeped into our, our almost idea of prayer and who God is. It's almost altered our theology and doctrine in prayer. Because we go, I want to pray and I want it to happen. Does God work that way? Sometimes. I've seen it. It's credible. And you go, whoa, mind blown. This is incredible what God just did. It does happen that way sometimes. But a lot of the time, it's persistence. It's going back again and back again and back again. God, I'm, I'm, come, I'm knocking again. I'm knocking again. How many of you have ever gone to somebody's house, you know their home and you knock on the door and they don't come? And you're going, I know your home. And sure, we do it to like, you know, delivery guys or stuff all the time where we go, don't answer the door, it's just a delivery guy. We'll wait for him to drive off, then we'll grab the package, right? But when it's somebody you know, you knock on the door and then they, they don't answer, you get a little frustrated and you're like, I'm gonna knock again. So you go knocking again. And by the end, you're knocking harder and harder and harder and harder, right? And by, you're going, what are you doing in there? And you start, you're going, open the door. You, you get really like, come on, I know you're here. You know, finally they come to the door and they've been taking like a two and a half hour nap in the middle of the day. And I'm going, Psh, don't you have a job? <laughs> Just kidding. But like for me, if it's my parents and like I knock and knock and knock and knock and they're not answering the door, eventually what am I gonna do? I'm gonna go around to the back door, right? And you're gonna knock and be like, you're gonna be looking at me like, are you here? Like, what are you, you're, I see your cars, I know your home. Like, what are you, where are you at? And finally you go like trying other, do- like whatever door you can, you're like lifting windows. You're like, I, it's my parents, I'm gonna go in their house. I'm not breaking and entering, I'm just entering. I'm gonna try, I'm gonna try not to break anything in the process, right? So, you know, you know so you, you, but you go, I want in, I'm here. You don't just walk away. You go, oh, not for me. Like my parents live in Springfield, Missouri. So I'm not gonna just drive and knock like, oh, they're not home. We might as well go back, right? No, I'm like, I'm here. I'm getting in this house. 
And and God, Jesus tells this incredible, incredible uh, story of this widow and this parable, and it's the persistent widow. And and in this story, and we find it in Luke 18, but but he says that that essentially this this widow goes to this judge repeatedly, time and time and time again, just saying, "I, I want justice. I want justice. I want justice. And he keeps pushing her off, like, stop, go away. Stop, go away. Stop. Finally, he just goes, my goodness gracious woman, you're driving me crazy. That's not the NIV translation, but we should write it that way. He's like, I'm fine, here, have what you need. And Jesus is using that in, in prayer saying, be persistent. Don't just try one time, come back. Get to the point to where you're almost annoying God if you have to. I don't know if that's theologically correct or not, but nonetheless, you go, man, just go back and go back and go back. Keep knocking on the door and keep knocking on the door until finally the door is open. It says, knock and it will be open. He didn't say how many times you had to knock. It wasn't like, oh, thank you. No, he just, it says not keep going back. Persistence, persistence, persistence. The problem in our world is that we give up on prayer way too fast. And I'm guilty of it. That's not me to say like, oh, you people learn to pray. No, I'm guilty of it as well. We have to learn to be men and women of prayer who are willing to ask with boldness, who are seeking out the kingdom of God and his righteousness and who are knocking persistently going back to the door and back to the door and back to the door until we begin to see the hand of God move and things shift and change. It is through prayer that we tap into the power of God and through the power of God, we see our community, we see our city, we see our nation and our world changed for God. And that is the only way it happens. We can work all day long, but if we're not walking in the power of God that we find through our time in prayer, we are not going to see the results. We're not gonna see it happen. Martin Luther said, pray as if everything depends on God and work as if everything depends on you, but it's not without the prayer. We have to become men and women of prayer. And that is why starting next Tuesday, it is crucial for us as a church to become a house of prayer. It is crucial. It is vital for the success of our church in reaching our community, not for the success of numerical growth. And if that, that, that'll be a byproduct of reaching the people around us, amen. But it's so that we can be empowered by God so that we can come in and we can spend time in the presence of God and we can pray and we can make our requests known and we can seek out the will of God for our church and we can seek out the vision and the direction and where he's leading us and what he's calling us to do so that our church can be the light that we are called called to be in the world around us. It is vital and necessary. I'll invite the worship team to join me. It's crucial for us as a church to become a church of prayer, to become a body of prayer, a a house of prayer. It would not hurt my feelings one bit if the community around us started calling us that crazy praying church. Yes, we are. We pray, we believe in the power of God. We believe God works and that he moves today, that he's not just some distant being who who cares for us from afar, but that he is here with us and he wants to work and he wants to move. The purpose of prayer is that we tap into the power of God and that we begin to see things altered and shifted and changed because God is working and moving. And it starts in prayer. It happens through prayer. It's only by prayer. My challenge to you this morning is this. Find time for prayer. Find time for prayer. I can tell you, even through studying and and reading, I read so much stuff from this guy, Ian Bounds, this past week. It was just, it was challenging. 
as you read it, for me personally, I was going, I need to be better. I need to be better. I, I need to pray more. I need to be more consistent, more persistent in my prayer. I know I can do better, right? I have these moments where I just, the motivated side of me just starts going, come on, get after it, do it, make it happen. And I just get pumped up and fired up and I go, we're gonna do this. We're gonna, we're gonna start praying and we're gonna see the world change in like six months. It's, it's gonna happen. You know what I mean? That's the way my mind goes. We will become a church of prayer. And it starts with each and every one of you individually choosing to become a man or woman of prayer. It doesn't happen because I stand up here and I go, all right, church, we will be a church of prayer. And then as I pray, you're gonna follow suit and we're all gonna, yeah, sure, I need to be leading that, but it starts with your decision to say, I'm gonna be a man or a woman of prayer. I'm gonna be the one that is stepping out in faith. I'm gonna be the one that is, that is praying to the fullest and saying, okay, I'm gonna seek out the kingdom of God. I'm gonna go to the Lord with boldness. I'm gonna make my requests known and I'm gonna be persistent because it's through that that we begin to tap into the power of God. We will be a church of prayer. These next four weeks, we're teaching on prayer. We're talking about prayer for four weeks and and it's gonna be awesome. It's gonna be a lot of fun and I'm really looking forward to it. But it's only so good to teach about prayer if we're following it up with action. You can have all the knowledge of prayer in the world, but if you do not pray, it it is borderline useless. We will be a church of prayer my challenge and I'm gonna, we'll do it again next Tuesday or, or next Sunday we'll challenge you for this again but be here Tuesday of next week not this Tuesday of next week at 6.30 there's a list of the dates coming up right outside of these doors when you walk out there's the list of the dates when we'll have prayer nights so for eight straight weeks we're gonna spend we're gonna spend Tuesdays in prayer here at the church for eight weeks where it goes from there we'll see what God does but we're starting with eight weeks to say God work in our church, change things in our church, move in our church, do something different in our church. And God may challenge us. He may push us to new levels. He may cause us to have to step out in faith in new ways and do different things. And it's gonna be an awesome ride. And we're gonna trust God through the whole thing because we're gonna tap into his power and his leading. Amen. Amen. Let me pray over you. Father, we love you. God, we love you. Lord, you're so good. You're so good. Your grace and your mercy is so good. Your goodness and all that you are is so good. Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit will begin to stir a passion and a desire in our hearts for you and for prayer. God, we talked a few weeks ago about about, about filling our lives with what stirs our affections for Jesus. So Lord, this morning, I pray that you begin to stir those affections and let them lead us into a motivation to pray, a desire to pray, a desire to be in your presence, a desire to be in communication with you, to be complete connection with you, tapping into the power of God, tapping into to what you can do and experiencing what you're capable of. When we step aside and we allow God to move and we allow your Holy Spirit to work in our lives and in our church and in our community and our city and the world around us. Father, it's only through prayer that we will truly become a place to belong, to become like Christ and to be light to the world around us. It is only through prayer that anything we try to do, anything we seek to accomplish, it's only by prayer, only by prayer that we will ever do what you have called us to do. 
So Lord, I pray that in our hearts that we will be convicted and challenged to become men and women of prayer at a deeper level, at a new level. We thank you for it. We give you glory. We give you honor for it. Jesus, let your hand be on all those that are here today. I pray blessing over them. God, that you will be with them. Lord, that your hand will will cover them, that you will lead them and you will guide them from this day till next Sunday when we come back together as a family to worship you, to study your word and to grow together. Lord, I pray that you will just send them out with, with just an incredible blessing for an incredible week. We thank you for it. We give you glory. We give you honor for it. In Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, Amen, amen, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Grace Hill is always about knowing God and growing in God, and we want to hear from you. If you have a prayer request or a question, you can email us at info at gracehill.cc.